This is your home of the Oregon Ducks. Up to Brown Jr. Passes off to Smith for the dunk with two hands. And we love to talk about them. With expert interviews, insight, and analysis, this is Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. What's up, Portland? Welcome into another edition of the Quack Attack here on 1029-750 The Game. I'm Judah Newby, Chris Barty spinning it behind the glass, and welcome to what could be the final show of the season. It's the final week of the regular season, and it could be, again, it could be the final edition of the show. That is yet to be determined, so in the meantime, we're just going to go pedal to the floor and see what comes out the other side. The Oregon Ducks coming off a huge win over Arizona. We'll get to that. Plus, we'll preview the final two games of the regular season. That's Thursday at Washington State and Saturday at Washington. For our guests tonight, that will be Joey Mack, the voice of Duck Basketball himself, Joey McMurray. He joins us in our second segment. He'll be followed by the one and only Roxy Bernstein, play-by-play man at ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. Roxy has the call of Oregon State Washington Thursday night on ESPN2 with Bill Walton as his color man. Roxy's also got a good grip on the Pac-12 basketball landscape at large, as well as anyone, so he will join us at 7.30. You can always interact with the show. Just shoot me a tweet at 1029thegame, at Judah Newby, and use the hashtag QuackAttack. Get your tweet read live on the show. So the Ducks come in now 19-10 and 10 overall, 9-7 and 7 in conference play, so that's good enough for six in the Pac-12 standings. A half game below Utah, and an identical conference mark right now with Washington. Oregon does have the head-to-head tiebreak with the Huskies. The good news for the Ducks is that if everything breaks right, they could still finish as high as third in the Pac-12 and get a first-round bye going into Vegas next week. That would mean, though, that they would need to win both games this week and have Stanford lose both of their games this week, which is not impossible, but it's always hard to predict that a team will go 0-2 in a week, uh, in this year's Pac-12 conference, at least, the Cardinal are at Arizona Thursday and at Arizona State Saturday. Two very tough places to play, and Arizona State is much better at home than they are on the road. So there's a chance Stanford goes 0-2. You never know. Oregon, though, would also need Utah to lose their last game of the season, which is not likely. The Utes host Colorado Saturday night, and the Ducks would also need UCLA to lose their season finale. The Bruins are at USC on Saturday, a USC team that, though they look good, are still without Benny Boatwright right now. So now if you play that even further, if you, you know, humor me just one further step, if Oregon finishes in a tie with UCLA with identical 11-7 and records, I just got curious as to how the tiebreakers work for seedings in the Pac-12 tournament. What if two teams split their head-to-head matchups as the Ducks and Bruins did this season? What happens next in terms of determining season if they both have the same conference record? Well, should both Oregon and UCLA go 11-7, and you have that head-to-head tiebreaker. Of course, Oregon beat UCLA in Eugene, but they lost to UCLA just last weekend down in Los Angeles. Then you go to one loss percentage for both teams against the team at the top of the standings. In this case, it's Arizona. And when you do that, the one loss percentage against Arizona for the Ducks and and UCLA, it's advantage UCLA there, which is a little counterintuitive because Oregon played Arizona twice and went one and one against them. UCLA, despite being in the quote unquote Pac-12 South, only played Arizona once this conference season and they won that game. You know, credit to the Bruins. They beat Arizona in Tucson 
back on February 8th, 82-74, in their only matchup with Arizona. So if you follow the tiebreak scenarios, should both Oregon and UCLA finish with identical records in conference play, UCLA would still have the tiebreak advantage for seeding purposes in the Pac-12 tournament, and that would particularly play a role if Oregon and UCLA are in that 4-5 discussion. If they both have the same records, one team gets four, one team gets five, well... UCLA would get the four seed and the bye in the first round, and Oregon would be the five seed and have to play the 12 seed, probably either Cal or Washington State on that Wednesday. But it makes their path through Vegas that much more difficult if you have to play that extra game before you get to the quarterfinals on Thursday. So UCLA would have the advantage over Oregon. As far as my prediction, you know, Oregon doesn't have much of a choice this week than to just keep it one game at a time. You know, it's the, the phrase no one really wants to hear, but it's true. The Ducks have no other option than to just keep their heads down and try to beat Washington State Thursday and look as good as they can doing it and then go ahead and try to do the same thing against Washington on Saturday that they did against the Huskies earlier this month. Data Ullman spoke at practice earlier this week. This was on Tuesday afternoon and uh, talked about the team's mindset going into this last road trip. Can't worry about that. We can worry about winning games, you know. it. Uh, uh, so much you can control, so much you can't control, and uh, the only things, you know, just go try to play as well as we can play at Washington State, at Washington, and and try to have a great weekend and then uh, just see where everything falls. V.J. Bailey has had a pretty good impact off the bench. He's cooled off a bit recently. Uh, as a freshman, though, he's going to be an impact player for a long time. He was talking about the team's need to play road games with the similar urgency and similar intensity that they do at Matthew 9 Arena. Yeah, I mean, we just, we just got to play, play as hard as we play home that we, you know, we do away. Um, it's, it's still new for us, and uh, we're, we're still learning and trying to figure things out. I know I'm learning. I'm trying to figure things out, so uh, we'll get it. And there's a lot been made about the freshmen on this year's team being able to channel the energy of the home crowd, and that does not necessarily translate when the freshmen have to go on the road. We saw that most notably against Stanford in the blowout loss that Oregon suffered on the farm. But, you know, a lot of that is put on the shoulders of Troy Brown Jr. He came in with a lot of expectation. He's done well in parts this season, but the consistency just hasn't been there. He was asked what the key to playing well on the road will be this week. I just feel like we have to come out with confidence. Uh, I know we haven't been um, doing very well on the road, but for us to come out right now, I feel like it's an important time for us to step up as a team and just make plays and just play confidently with each other. Well, it really is now or never time for the Ducks. So if Oregon does go 2-0, beating the Cougars Thursday, beating the Huskies Saturday, they would also need USC to beat UCLA and then Stanford to lose both their games at Arizona and at Arizona State. Now, all those scenarios are certainly plausible. I'm not sure if all of them are likely, but if they all happen, then Oregon will get a bye in the Pac-12 tournament. They will get the four seed. They have to go 2-0. They have to have USC beat UCLA Saturday night, and then they have to have Stanford go 0-2 in their Arizona road trip Thursday at Arizona and Saturday at Arizona State. Again, all plausible. I'm not sure if combined together that much of that is likely, but... You never know. I mean, crazier things have happened in the Pac-12 this year. As for that USC-UCLA game, I know that UCLA probably matches up better against USC than the other way around. That being said, UCLA is coming off of losses at Utah and at Colorado. They got swept last week after beating the Ducks and the Beavers in Los Angeles the week before. 
So they're on a two-game losing streak, whereas USC, they've lost Benny Boatwright to injury for the season. But Chemezi Metu, despite being named in that Yahoo Sports investigation report from last Friday, he was able to keep his focus, stay locked in on, on Saturday, put up a really good effort. The six foot eleven junior had 14 points, 9 rebounds, blocked out all distractions, and helped USC really control the game start to finish, and including a 16 to nothing run against Utah in the second half last week to help beat the Utes. So I think with Metu's leadership and Jordan McLaughlin, the uh, starting point guard for USC, between those two players, I think the Trojans have what it takes to get it done at home and defend home court and beat UCLA. That's going to be a lot to ask, though, for Oregon to have Stanford lose both games at Arizona State and Arizona. Now, Oregon, 19-10, and 9-7 and 7 in the conference. They have an RPI of 72. They are currently 7.5-point favorites over Washington State tomorrow night. I'll be interested to see what the line for Saturday will be when the Ducks visit the Huskies. Huskies got dominated in their trip to Eugene earlier this month when Oregon won that game 65-40. to 40. We all remember that dominant effort by the Ducks. Washington will host Oregon State tomorrow night. We'll be talking to the man who's calling that game, Roxy Bernstein, coming up at the bottom of this hour. Up next, though, he's been calling all of your Oregon basketball games on the radio side all season long. Joey McMurray, a.k.a. Joey Mack, joins me coming up next. Does he think Oregon has what it takes to go 2-0 this week and maybe slide into the top four of the Pac-12 standings? That's next. You've got the Quack Attack with Judah Newby on 102.9 and 750 The Game. Back to Quack Attack with Judah Newby. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On your home of the Oregon Ducks. 1029 and 750 The Game. Welcome back to the show. Oregon is at Washington State tomorrow at 6 p.m. You can hear it right here on 1029 750 The Game via Oregon IMG. And our next guest will be on the play-by-play call. He is Joey Mack joining us from Eugene. Joey, thanks for taking the time. How are you? Good, Judah. How are you doing? Doing well. I understand you had a pretty late night last night calling uh, the Duck baseball home opener. Pretty good result for game number one, right? Yeah, 10 runs second inning is uh, never a bad thing. Uh, I think that George Horton would probably tell you he'd like to see (laughs) maybe a little more sustained offense, uh, but ultimately winning 14 to nothing is never a bad thing. This is the time of year where you get a lot of overlap. It's always fun. How cold was it last night at PK? Uh, It was in the high 30s uh, with a little bit of wind chill. Uh, It wasn't too bad, though. I mean, I'm spoiled. I'm up there in the press box with the nice air conditioning and the heat when it's nice and cold. So it's always uh, easier for me to be out there, whereas the guys, uh, I always, I remember last year, at least, I got a hard time because I I said, third base coach, Jay Ullman, I said, that's a cold-looking Jay Ullman down there. And a lot of people said, well, hey, you can't go saying that. You're in the warm press box. And I said, yeah, that's true. That's true. And <laughs> I've never forgotten that. You got to rub it in when you can, man. I mean, that's that's part of the perks of the job. You get to that's uh, true. stay sheltered. <laughs> that's true. Um, thankfully, all basketball games are played indoors. And as we pivot to uh, the Ducks hoops program, obviously a big road trip coming up. But if you can take me back to Saturday, Joey, and the environment of, of what Matthew Knight was like when all the controversy swirling around Sean Miller and DeAndre Ayton and the University of Arizona and the Ducks end up pulling out that thrilling victory at home. What was that environment like? It was awesome. Um, I think that that felt like Matthew Knight Arena of, of last year. And, you know, being undefeated at home, obviously that's going to bring a lot of fans. But 
it, it's kind of a, a vicious circle for opposing teams because as the Ducks continue to win at home, then more fans show up, and the Oregon continues to win at home because fans keep showing up. I think it's kind of that vicious cycle with the uh, with the attendance and just with how things usually go. It, success ends up fueling success sort of a thing. And I thought that it was a great environment. And, you know, I will say the pit crew, uh, that was probably the best showing from the pit crew because, they got a little creative with all the controversy around this Arizona program. They were giving Sean Miller, DeAndre Ayton, and uh, Alonzo Trier a hard time with a few different, uh, shall we say, creative ideas. <laughs> and I thought that that made it kind of fun. You know, you don't want to see a lot of controversy around basketball, especially this year. I think with the FBI investigation, there's there's been such a black cloud over college basketball this year. It's been kind of unfortunate, but... I will say uh, tip of the cap to the pit crew for some creative thoughts. That's for sure. I know Dana Altman's close to Sean Miller and uh, they've got history connected with one another going back a ways. And he's always professed a lot of respect for Arizona. So what were kind of his sentiments after the game Saturday amidst everything that's been um, going on with the Arizona program? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I asked, Coach Altman on our pregame interview, just, you know, hey, obviously you don't have two guys there on the bench for Arizona that you normally would have, meaning Trier and, and Sean Miller. And, you know, Dana Altman didn't even talk about Sean Miller when I asked him about it. He just talked about what was going on on the floor with Alonzo Trier not being out there. That's all he was really thinking about was the X's and O's of what it means to not have Trier out there for that Arizona team. And then I talked to him for the coaches show yesterday for tip off Tuesday. And, you know, he, he said, there's just a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty. I, I haven't asked him specifically if he's talked to Sean Miller about everything that's going on, but they, you're right. They do have a lot of respect for each other. You never hear a post game interview with either Dane Altman or Sean Miller after a Oregon, Arizona game where one does not compliment the other and compliment the other's team. So, you know, I imagine that just like with a lot of coaches and their relationships with their peers around the country this year with all these investigations going on, I imagine that a lot of them are all kind of walking on eggshells with each other because they don't really know when's the next big report going to come out. You know, when's Pat Forty for Yahoo Sports going to write another one? When's the next ESPN article going to come out? I mean, it, it really has been kind of a snowball effect this year. And, it, and I think the unfortunate thing is that it's it's been over a long period of time, and honestly, Judah, I don't see this ending anytime soon. I think this is going to be going on for the next few seasons as a lot of these criminal cases now. I mean, these will take a while to go through the, <laughs> the, the system, if you will, and I think we're going to be hearing about this for a long time. Voice of Oregon basketball, Joey Mack joining us right here on the game. You can hear Joey coming up Thursday night, 5.30 pregame, 6 o'clock tip via Oregon IMG when uh, the Ducks visit Washington State, and then again Saturday, a 4.30 tip when the Ducks visit the Huskies. Uh, Joey, quick note from that Arizona game, the fact that Elijah Brown went for 30 points and Mikhail McIntosh, 20 points for himself. I know these are two of the more seasoned, more experienced guys, uh, guys that uh, a lot was expected from this year, given their level of experience and the fact that they were trying to be instant impacts uh, on this program and their one and only year in Eugene. How important is it for both of those guys to keep playing at a high level and ensure this uh, Oregon's team success this week? Well, I think that when Oregon was struggling at times earlier this year, a lot of it was due to the fact that Mikhail McIntosh and Elijah Brown weren't having their greatest games. I think that Mikhail McIntosh in the last month or so has developed into one of the Ducks' 
best and, and, and really most key players just because of his presence inside. Even though he's an undersized four, he's so physical in the post, and he has such a veteran presence that I think that goes a long way. And, you know, I've looked back at a lot of the box scores this year, and the games where Elijah Brown is feeling it and hitting shots, those are games that Oregon wins. And, and I think that in games that Oregon's lost in those close contests, a lot of those have been when Elijah Brown's had an off night. And I think that a lot of that is just because of the veteran presence, as you mentioned. These are guys that are graduate transfers, and they came to Oregon to go to the NCAA tournament and try and make an impact in their final year of college eligibility. And I think that they have done that at times, but it's been the inconsistency, particularly for Elijah Brown, I think, that you know, he, he's certainly wanted to make a few more consistent impacts on the team. And so the 30 points against Arizona, the Ducks certainly needed that because, you know, honestly, the last couple of weeks, the Oregon freshman core has not performed as well. Victor Bailey Jr. hasn't been scoring off the bench the last few weeks as much as he was earlier in the season. Troy Brown Jr., I think, hasn't been scoring as much lately, but he's done a few things to affect the box score in other positive ways, rebounding the ball and with the assists. And the other one is really Kenny Wooten. I mean, Kenny Wooten generated a lot of defense, and that's what got him into that starting lineup. But Kenny Wooten hasn't scored as much and hasn't rebounded as much, I think, as the Ducks would like. And so when Oregon has struggled, particularly on that Los Angeles road trip where the Ducks really needed to get at least one of those close games, they lost them both. I think that the, the freshmen did not have a great road trip. And so the freshmen are still trying to, <laughs> I guess, figure out, similar to Elijah Brown, the consistency and the ups and downs of a season. And that's where Oregon really this year, I think, was planning on and in some ways needed to lean on Mikhail McIntosh and Elijah Brown as grad transfers. And I don't know if that was if that's been maybe a little too much because teams kind of know what Elijah Brown is, and Mikhail McIntosh has been in a lot of physical contests this year to try and get his, if you will. So, you know, I think that those guys are going to be huge down the stretch. They need to continue to play like they did this past weekend, uh, because especially on the road against the Washington State team that's been playing really well of late, they had a chance at the buzzer to beat Stanford at Stanford, which would have been a huge win. They've been playing much better the last couple weeks, and they're a team that shoots a lot of threes. And so when they're at home, they play much better at home under Ernie Kent. They're a team that shoots a lot of threes, and so you got to be able to weather the storm answer with a few threes of your own. And I think that's where Elijah Brown's going to be a big key on Thursday. And Similarly, against Washington, that zone has been outstanding for Mike Hopkins. I think he's the Pac-12 coach of the year up there at Washington in his first year after coming over from Syracuse. That zone really does a nice job shutting some things down. Oregon did a great job operating against it with Troy Brown Jr. working at the free throw line. But Mikhail McIntosh really drew that defense, and I think that that's going to go a long way just for this weekend. Plenty is on the line with the standings this week. And given the fact that Oregon really controlled the matchups when the Huskies and Cougars traveled down to Eugene, respectively, earlier this month, I know that this team won't be overconfident based on those results. But do you think that the Ducks are feeling good about the way they match up with the Huskies and Cougars, given the results of those games in February? I think they feel good, one, because they do match up well, but two, because of the success, um, I think that you're onto something there because, you know, to me, a, a team that shoots a lot of threes, Oregon consistently this year has been one of the better teams at defending the three. Mm-hmm. It's been teams that get out in transition. That's really hurt Oregon. And that's what Washington state does. Also, they like to go in transition and take a lot of threes. So I think that if Oregon can simply be the better team, which they are talent wise, and not let the Cougars get going in transition and hitting some of those threes, 
then they're going to be just fine. Um, now, I, I do think that Oregon matches up well with Washington because they've played pretty well against zone defenses. I asked a couple weeks ago Dane Altman about the, the splits again and the offensive success for Oregon against either a zone or a man, and he said the numbers actually say that they're about equal against both. And I was interested by that because I have felt like Oregon has done a better job against zone defenses at times this year. But then as I started thinking about it, and Coach Altman brought that up with me, you know, Oregon has seen zone a lot more. And I thought that that was interesting because Oregon doesn't really have the type of team that they don't have the kind of big man, I guess, where you'd normally say, oh, you got to zone these guys, you know, because Oregon, although they haven't been a great three-point shooting team this year, they've got guys that can knock it down. I think that really the, the reason that for my thought of inconsistency with the Oregon offense against the zones and, and playing really well, it honestly came down to Oregon's inconsistency shooting the three, and that's why the numbers have ended up being kind of a wash when they go against the zone or a man. I hope that made sense. But I think that ultimately with this with this Washington matchup, they do match up well because they can stick Mikhail McIntosh and Troy Brown Jr., guys that are good passers and also can hit those mid-range jump shots at the free throw line. They can stick those guys in the middle of the zone, and they don't have to rely on the three because Washington in the majority of conference games this year has held their opposition under their average from three, and they're doing that again with a zone defense. So, uh, that tells you, I think, what that Syracuse zone has, has brought to Washington, and they've got a lot of length. They've got the right personnel to run it. But I do think that Oregon matches up well from a personnel standpoint, also from a confidence standpoint, even though this is a game that Washington has to win. I mean, Oregon's probably still on the outside looking in at the NCAA tournament unless they win the Pac-12 tournament, in my opinion. But Washington could still find a way in, and they're going to have to win the next two games at home against the Oregon schools. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned that. I know Washington's RPI currently tied for 49th with Boise State, and but both the Huskies and Ducks with identical 9-7 and seven records in the Pac-12. And, Joey, you alluded to it, but if you take a bird's-eye view of where the Pac-12 stands right now, and only one team in the top 25 in Arizona who is currently – embattled to say the least at 12 and four in the conference and then USC at 12 and five dealing with their own health issues Benny Boatwright in particular Stanford sitting there at 10 and six but they got to finish with road games at Arizona and Arizona State not easy for anyone and then UCLA and Utah at 10 and seven right behind them I mean what do you make of this jumbled Pac-12 it's been jumbled all season long for the most part but especially now as we enter the final week of regular season play and move in toward the uh, Pac-12 tournament in Vegas and one, what are your thoughts on the fact that it's, there's so much parity? Two, how important is it in your mind for the Ducks to slide into that top four range and get a bye? Well, I think that getting into the top four would be great. I, I'm not sure that it's going to happen um, because ultimately if you get into the top four, I think that it just helps you from a, a rest standpoint. You don't have to play that extra game in, in Las Vegas. But, you know, the other thing for me with Oregon in, in terms of getting into – the tournament is they just need to be positioned in such a way that I think they match up with USC. I honestly think that Oregon can beat USC. I think that the Ducks had a couple get away against the Trojans this year, both at home and on the road. As you mentioned, without Benny Boatwright, I think that's a different USC team. And then with everything going on with Arizona, who knows what the heck that Wildcat team is going to look like. I think that Arizona is the one team that separated itself from the conference. I think the rankings have told you that. My, my eyes have told me that. Dan Altman agreed with me when I talked to him about this yesterday. And I think that, you know, with, with, with everything uncertain in the conference and because the Pac-12 has been such a 
eat-yourselves-alive kind of conference this year. I think that, the, that anyone could win the Pac-12 tournament this year. Um, the, the, whatever happens this last weekend, it's going to be interesting because I, I think Washington has to win their last two. Uh, if they want any shot of getting in, I think that USC needs to make a strong push. You know, it's interesting, too. I think that people forget the Pac-12. Oregon didn't have the strongest non-conference schedule, but the Pac-12 in general had some good ones. I mean, Washington and Arizona State both beat Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse this year. Kansas just won the Big 12 again. And it seems like everybody, though, looks at the Pac-12 and it's like, eh, the Pac-12 isn't very good. Well, they have two teams that won on the road at Kansas, a traditionally very hard place to play. And I think that a lot of people have forgotten that Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12, <laughs> they've got some pretty good non-conference wins. Now, the Ducks, they're kind of the outlier from that, though, I think, that of the teams that are in the conversation of getting in, the Ducks don't have that big non-conference resume. So I do think that the Pac-12 might be getting a little bit of a underappreciation for that early non-conference success, but the reason for that is because it's been such a balanced league. And, you know, ultimately I think right now Arizona's going to get in. I think Arizona State's going to get in because of that non-conference slate. I, I do probably think that the team that, I'm most interested in watching finish the season is Utah. I actually think that Utah might be able to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament and, and get into the NCAA tournament. USD and UCLA, Washington, I think they're all pretty close. We'll have to see what happens without Boatwright for USD. Um, you know, so I don't know. It, it's been interesting to watch this year. I, I think that the Pac-12 will probably end up with maybe four in, but it wouldn't shock me if it's three. It wouldn't shock me if it's five. I think it all depends on what happens around the rest of the country, how many at-large spots are open, and, you know, heck, who knows? Oregon could could build some momentum here. They could win their final two on the road against the Washington schools, and then, man, it wouldn't shock me if Oregon went and won the Pac-12 tournament with how balanced it's been this year. Yeah, it's been a very intriguing landscape, not only in the Pac-12, but across the country. Gotta like your call on Utah, sitting there at 10-7 and 7 right now and an RPI of 51 uh, fascinating to see UCLA also 10 and seven an RPI of 52. Both yeah. of those programs only have one game this week. UCLA is at USC and Utah gets to host Colorado. So yeah, definitely going to be keeping an eye on that. Hey, Joey, thanks a lot for being generous with your time this morning. Uh, right after calling that duck baseball game last night. Good talking to you, man. And, uh, we'll be tuning in for your call five thirty pregame Thursday, six o'clock tip on the Palouse. And then Saturday, a four o'clock pregame and four thirty tip on Oregon IMG. Thanks a lot, Joey. Thanks, Judah. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Coming up, Roxy Bernstein of ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. He joins us to discuss the crazy week that's been in college basketball, and we'll get his thoughts on how the Pac-12 will shake out in Vegas with the NCAA tournament around the corner. This is the Quack Attack with Judah Newby on 1029 and 750 The Game. You're listening to Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. And welcome back to the Quack Attack on 1029 750 The Game. Judah Newby here with you. Ducks going to Washington State Thursday night and to Seattle on Saturday. But uh, for all the other Pac-12 teams, it's the final week of the regular season and plenty to shake out 
ahead of the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas next week. And our next guest has as close a uh, an eye on the Pac-12 as anyone can have. He is Roxy Bernstein of ESPN and the Pac-12 Network. Roxy's got the call of Oregon State Washington Thursday on ESPN2 alongside Bill Walton. Uh, good luck to Roxy there. He'll also have the call Saturday when the Beavers visit Washington State on the Palouse. Roxy, thanks for taking the time this evening. How are you? Please pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's the mental, uh, spiritual, emotional preparation like for calling a game next to Bill Walton? <laughs> it's it's certainly an experience. It, it, at, first off, it's a fun experience. I love working with Bill. Yeah. It's great. Uh, and I get to do probably 15 games a year with Bill, and he he really is a treasure. And sure, it's it can be a little frustrating at times and a little wild at times, but it's fun at the end of the day, and I enjoy being around him. And he he, well, he makes the place wherever we're at, no matter what game we're doing, that's the place to be. And there's nowhere else we'd rather be. And it, it my preparation's a little bit different when I work with Bill, but still, at the end of the day, it is a true pleasure to work with him. Ever get tips from Dave Pash, or is it one of those things you just got to figure it out for yourself? <laughs> oh, no, Dave, I mean, there's a lot of things you have to figure out for yourself. But Dave and I do talk. We, we talk frequently, actually. <laughs> we We trade notes. How can we jab Bill? How can we get the upper hand with him? <laughs> So it's uh, we we are definitely uh, in, in a small union that it gets to work 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 with Bill. Hey, play by play next to Bill Walton is definitely a team sport. There's no doubt about that. Roxy Bernstein joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Roxy Bernstein. Roxy, I want to get into the Pac-12 standings and what have you, but let's begin with the topic that's most prevalent in college basketball at large, and that's this. FBI investigation, the Yahoo Sports report recently, the ESPN report into Sean Miller in Arizona. As you've been monitoring all these stories and, that have been coming out and seeing Sean Miller absent from his program the last six days or so, uh, I know Arizona's Board of Regents has a meeting scheduled for tomorrow afternoon. I mean, what do you make of all this? Is this the harsh reality that college athletics has been needing to face or was this even necessary ground for the FBI to investigate? I mean, what are your thoughts? First off, it's just wild. It's crazy what's happening, and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways. In fact, I think in just about every way, to be honest with you. Um, but it is the situation, and I know the reports and accusations uh, towards Sean Miller, and I go by the theory. You're innocent until proven guilty. What our country was based upon, our legal system, and I'm going under that, guys, that you're innocent until proven guilty. Now, we're getting one side of the story. These are accusations. It's a report. And until there is true evidence that comes directly from either the FBI and the government or the NCAA, that's how I approach it. And I think it's unfair just to label Sean Miller and just take these accusations as the gospel, that this is the situation. And he, he's a, allowed every right to defend himself. Now, he hasn't said anything yet, and the university has been pretty mum. But I, I think it was interesting how the university crafted a statement that was joint between Sean Miller and the University of Arizona, where a lot of times you'll see universities distance themselves 
from a coach or a situation, but that hasn't been the case here. And, and so we'll see how this plays out. But, again, it's a report. I take it for what it is, but I also don't take it as the final word until we get all the facts from all, all parties involved. I'm sure the school will find some clarity with Miller's immediate future with the team um, concerning their last two games of the regular season and their Pac-12 tournament aspirations, their NCAA tournament aspirations. But as it stands right now, Roxy, how do you think this Sean Miller situation affects the Wildcats? The fact that they're the only top 25 ranked team in the conference right now, that they are still, as of now, the top seed with home games pending against Stanford and Cal. They don't have Alonzo Trier. And the, their best player, the guy at the center of all this investigative work, DeAndre Ayton, seems like he's still handling, handling himself pretty well. Do you think that this um, overall distraction will hinder Arizona's chances of reaching their ceiling? It, it, it's, it's hard to say, to be honest with you. And because, look, there is no playbook for how to deal with a situation <laughs> like this. Yeah. And so Arizona... I, I, they have to adapt the mentality. It's us against the world, and that's the way they have to approach it because all they got is each other. And you look at the way DeAndre Ayton came out against the Ducks last Saturday night. I was so impressed by with how he handled himself, he carried himself, uh, and then with the emotion, he went out and played as, as brilliantly as somebody could play and, and given all the scrutiny and the circumstance he was in. And... For Arizona, even coming out of that game, yes, they lost it, but I think they thought to feel pretty good about themselves considering with what it had transpired the previous 24 hours. They didn't have their coach. They didn't have Alonzo Trier. And they went to overtime and just you know couldn't find a way to get it done. But give Oregon credit, they found a way to win the game. So now the Cats go home. They're going to try to regroup. They got Stanford tomorrow night. They got Cal on Saturday before they head to Vegas. And to me, they're still the team to beat. Even if Alonzo Trier is not available to them, I still think they are the team to beat. But I think it, it, it gives everybody a better opportunity if Alonzo Trier is still out and they still do not have Sean Miller. If Arizona is the number one team to beat, and I think that you know, I'd have to agree with you there, even with everything that's been going on with their program, who would you say is the second team to beat in the conference here in the final week of the regular season and with Vegas coming up next week? And is it USC, a team that's just a half game behind the Wildcats, but just obviously lost Betty Boatwright for the year, and Chemezi Metu, one of their best players, is at the center of this investigation as well. Do you handicap the Trojans as being the number two power-ranked team right now, or is there someone else that you're looking at? I, you know what? This this tournament is going to be nuts. Yeah. Because it is so wide open. It's probably the most wide open we've seen a Pac-10 slash 12 tournament, just because of the uncertainties at the top and the depth of this league. Okay, the league as we know, it's not great this year. It's not bad, but there there are legitimately what probably seven eight teams i i could say that could could stay claim to having an opportunity to win and okay arizona's a team to beat you look at the way that asu has played from time to time this year and for three days 
And for them, they're going to actually have, would have to do it over four days considering how far, how far they are down in the standings. And as of right now, they are an NCAA tournament team. Um, USC, I think they answered a lot of questions last weekend by sweeping the mountain trip without Benny Boatwright. That shows that, you know what, they, they can win without him. Um, UCLA is going to be a desperate team. They're coming off a bad weekend. Uh, the, but the way Oregon's playing right now, and who wants to see Oregon on the other side of the court right now considering the way the Ducks have played here in the second half of the season? And, and for Dane Altman, he's had to reinvent his program this year because of only one starter back from the team that went to the Final Four, but they're playing good ball right now here at the end of the day. So, yeah, I think this is a team also in Oregon that's a dangerous team heading into Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament. Well, and, and on that note, Roxy, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion this week on what does Oregon have to do to slide into the top four and get that by into the quarterfinals of the Pac-12 tournament. But I guess there there has to be a counter-argument to the fact that there's since there is so much parity and the matchups are so even, particularly this year in the Pac-12, I mean, what advantage is there in being in the top four, aside from the fact that, yeah, you, you get an extra day to rest? You do, and we've only seen it one time where a team won four games in four days. That was Colorado, their first year in the league when it became the Pac-12. And that makes it certainly challenging in trying to win four games in four days. So it's paramount for teams to stay in the top four to get that buy into the quarterfinals, in which Arizona already is and USC is there. But there's opportunities for other teams to lock it down. And heading into Vegas, that it gives you such an advantage. If you get that bye on Wednesday, then only have to play Thursday, Friday, and Saturday as opposed to have that fourth game to try to win four games in four days. So on that, Oregon, to get a top-four seed, would need USC to beat UCLA Saturday night. They would also need Stanford to lose at Arizona and lose at Arizona State, and the Ducks themselves would have to go 2-0. and this week do you think that scenario is is even a little bit likely <laughs> it's possible because let's face it anything is possible the way this league <laughs> has played out this year so when you look at oregon and you can't worry about the game against washington because you got to play the game against washington state first and that's what has to happen you got to win that game tomorrow night before you can even think about the huskies which have been a very good home team so far this year um I, I think you got to give USC the advantage over UCLA. They're at home. But, as, as we know, you can take nothing for granted this year in the league. And Stanford's a team that's interesting to me because the Cardinal, I expected a lot from them this year. And they had all the injuries they were dealing with early in the year, and then they got their act together. They've looked great at times. So this, this also, like Oregon, I think is a dangerous team heading into Las Vegas. You've got the call of Washington, Oregon State, Thursday night on ESPN2. A lot of buzz around Mike Hopkins for being a possible uh, coach of the year candidate in the Pac-12. Are you on that side as well, given what uh, what he's done in his first season in Seattle? Yeah, hands down. To me, he is the Pac-12 coach of the year. And take nothing away from some of the other coaches who, who've done really good jobs this year. But to me, he's the guy where Washington was picked. What the Huskies did last year, coming off a nine-win season, and you lose Markel Fultz, 
And you also had essentially the majority of your recruiting class disintegrate with Lorenzo Romar getting fired and then Michael Porter Jr., who was signed to go to Washington, who then wanted out of his letter of intent and went to Missouri. So what Mike Hopkins was able to do to salvage what was left of that class and get this group to buy in has been extremely impressive, and to me, he is the Pac-12 coach of the year. You get the Beavers twice this week. I know Oregon State is in the bottom third, but uh, you know, given you know, you've you've called a lot of the Beaver games in the past, and you get them twice more. What do you see in Wayne Tinkle and his program? Well, I, I see a team that is playing hard, and they may be playing their best basketball of the year right now. Um, and they're they're a group that certainly had the injury ravaged season last year, and this year. It's been difficult because you're counting on a guy like Ja'Cory McLaughlin to be your point guard, and then he decides to leave and transfer, and that changes the dynamic of the team because they're really operating without a true point guard. And even though, okay, you're getting some solid contributions from Seth Berger, keep in mind this is still a young team where Eubanks is a junior, Stevie Thompson Jr. is a junior. You have Trey Sinkle who's a third-year sophomore. And there is a lot of experience there, but this is a group that's also going to come back next year. And I think Oregon State could use this end of the season as a springboard in the next year. Thursday night, 8 p.m., Washington, Oregon State, ESPN2. Roxy also has the call Saturday when the Beavers go up to the Palouse and take on Ernie Kent and Washington State. And, uh, Roxy, I'm sure you'll have a lot of responsibilities going into next week in Vegas when the Pac-12 tournament rolls around. You've been very generous with your time, and uh, best of luck alongside the one and only William Walton tomorrow night. <laughs> Thank you very much, and I need the luck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Roxy. Thanks. You got it. Big thanks to Roxy Bernstein. Be sure to follow him on Twitter, at Roxy Bernstein. Looking forward to uh, his calls this weekend, next week, down in Vegas. Coming up, final segment of the show, we'll get to the key matchup uh, presented by Oregon College Savings Plan and the predictions of Ducks Washington State and Ducks Washington it's all in front of us here on the Quack Attack 1029 750 the game. to Quack Attack with Judah Newby, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling on your home of the Oregon Ducks, 1029 and 750 The Game. Welcome back. Final segment of the show, 1029 750 The Game. we got a key matchup coming up next. Big shout-out Chris Barty for his work tonight and work all season long on the Quack Attack. Been a lot of fun working with you, CP. Look forward to doing uh, some more stuff, hopefully, this basketball season and, of course, in uh broadcasts to come uh got a key matchup coming up next oregon and washington state that will be a 5 30 pregame six o'clock tip thursday and then oregon washington that's going to be a four o'clock pregame and a 4 30 tip saturday afternoon big thanks to joy mac and roxy bernstein for joining the program earlier if you miss any of the podcasts or if you miss any of the interviews live on the quack attack program you can always find them in podcast form all you got to do is if you have an iPhone, just go to the iTunes store and type in Judah Newby. I've got my own personal SoundCloud page there, and uh, you can subscribe there. Or the podcasts are always posted on the morning following on 1029thegame.com. That's where we podcast the Quack Attack show. And uh, big thanks to all of you listening, both to the live product and the podcast. Let's get to a key matchup. Which matchup will be critical for the Ducks' success? 
Jude and Newbie breaks down the key matchup. Brought to you by Oregon College Savings Plan. Imagine the possibilities. Well, the three-point line is going to determine things Thursday night in Pullman, and generally it does in college basketball anyway. Rebounding, turnovers, and the three-point line. So not surprising anybody here. Washington State, though, what might be surprising to some people is that they play really well from behind the three-point line. They lead the conference in three-pointers made with 313. They also lead the conference by far in three-pointers attempted with 830. Wazoo as a team averaging 37.7% from behind the three-point line. That is fourth in the Pac-12. If you're wondering where Oregon's at, they are ninth in the conference in three-point percentage. Washington State also defends the three pretty well. They're fourth in the conference in three-point field goal defense, while Oregon is sixth in three-point field goal defense. So three-point line going to determine a lot on the Palouse, as always, and Wazoo shoots it better from three at home than they do on the road, that's for sure. Also, Elijah Brown, I mean, when he's playing well and when he's hitting from behind the arc, uh, that stretches out the... Oregon opponent defensively, and it just opens up a whole another world of driving lanes and opportunities for pick and rolls and Mikhail McIntosh down low and Peyton Pritchard, you know, uh, winning his one-on-one matchups. So Elijah Brown, he's coming off the 30-point game against Arizona. He's also going to be the key matchup, both against Washington State and Washington. Prediction and all, I think the Ducks, I think they get it done. I think they get it done in two straight games. I think they beat Washington State. I think they beat Washington Saturday. I know that's a tough task, but I think they can get it done. We'll see. Be sure to lock it in tomorrow night right here on the game. Big shout out to all of you listening. Thanks you, Chris Partee. We'll be back again, Lord willing, next Wednesday night ahead of the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, and hopefully the Ducks will have a bye. This is the Quack Attack on 1029 and 750 The Game.